Welcome once again to Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is again your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service, and we're glad to have you with us. My guest this week is Father Jim Brackey. Father Jim is a Holy Cross priest. He graduated from Notre Dame in 1974 and in 1978 with a master's degree in theology. And for the past several years, he has been the staff chaplain to our campus here at Notre Dame. So, Father Jim, welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you, Dan. Thank you for your great service. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know uh, we see you a lot around campus, and we'll get into that great ministry. But we'll start at your childhood. Where are you from? What was the makeup of your family? Yes, very good, Dan. I grew up in an area called the Quad Cities of Illinois, Iowa. I grew up on the Illinois side, born in Moline, Illinois. The other cities are Rock Island, Illinois, Davenport, Iowa, and Bettendorf, Iowa. And it was a different time, Dan. Um, <laughs> I was the middle of three, and uh, my sister is four years older. My brother's two years younger. I had incredible parents of great love and support and faith. And I say it was a time when, you know, you could uh, really enjoy the neighborhood. You could enjoy your, you know, walk to school mm-hmm. and came back and there was never any threats of uh, of any fears of things that might be happening along the way. And we didn't have all the uh, technologies of today. And right, so our, yeah. our folks, we had one TV and uh, they always said, you know, be outside, play outside. Yeah, sure. You know, we were never inside and they'd have to call us in at night to... Uh, so we just uh, played games. We fortunately had a bunch of guys that played sports. So we had a nice field across the way that we played and football, baseball. Somebody had a basketball net. We even did a hockey, uh, froze yards and right. played hockey. And it was just a good time. Wonderful childhood. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. You mentioned this foundation of faith. What were some key moments that you remember where you really started to take on your faith and understand that this was a really important element of your family's yeah. life? Well, when I was very young, I'm thinking two to three years old, my grandmother died, my mm. mom's mother, and yep. it was very sad. And I remember my mom was crying at the kitchen table, and I went up to her and said, um, why are you crying? And she talked about the loss of her mother, and I said, I won't see grandma again. And she said, no, grandma's with God, and you know she's going to be taken care of with great love. And so my mom just found a way to communicate the importance of faith. And my mom and dad were both very humble. My dad always focused on humility, and he he lived it. He always talked about actions that speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a man of relatively few words, but he always acted as Micah 6. You know, I think of my dad that he walked humbly with God. He loved tenderly and acted justly. Mm-hmm. And he was a man of integrity. My mom, too, was always, uh, she worked, uh, she was in the home, always made sure that we had breakfast before she left to work and uh, would always be home to provide a meal. And we always had table together, even though my dad was an architect and he was gone a lot in evenings. He made a point of sharing table and hearing about the day and always had a 
a little talk about humility. <laughs> but again, they just were, were ready to do things for others, whether it be in the neighborhood, our parish where we were active at St. Mary's Parish, in the community. Remember, my mom was on the welfare board. And without fanfare, it was kind of interesting when my mom died 31 years ago. People came to the visitation, and I didn't know who they were, but they were people that mom had uh, cared for and loved mm. and in her uh, very humble ministry of caring for the poor and the needy. It was very touching to see them come to thank uh, our family for my mother. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. we went to church every Sunday. We prayed at, at meals. We had rosaries, uh, prayer time. My mom also, she actually was a convert uh, mm. to Catholicism. Yeah, uh, This is back in the mid-40s okay. or late 40s, and there was still that tension of religion, and, and uh, her family was Presbyterian. And my dad was in the Navy, and he was off in, in service when my mom on her own went and talked to the priest mm. about becoming Catholic. And uh, he was a very fun-loving Irish priest, and he loved uh, to play the piano, so he would go over to my mom's house, played the piano, and was very lighthearted and got to know uh, my mom's family, and that, I think, had a lot to do with their acceptance of my mom becoming Catholic, and so, but mom every year would go off with a group of women to St. Mary's Monastery in Nauvoo, Illinois, uh, run by the Benedictine Sisters, and faithfully made a retreat uh, with other women. And so she very, very important for her. Faith was very, very important, and uh, my dad as well. Yeah, yeah, what a wonderful gift. You mentioned some of the the, the priests and the examples. Uh, As you eventually became a priest, who were some of the priest examples and mentors that you had? Yes. Well, my family was uh, involved in the parish, and uh, we often would have priests over for dinner. I remember Father Dunn was a pastor there at St. Mary's, or helped out, and uh, he taught at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, and he loved to play golf, and we would set up some golf games, my dad, <laughs> myself, my brother. and My dad, being an architect, he got uh, a number of Catholic uh, parishes. Yeah. Um, being a curious kid, I went around with him and followed him to where he uh, was building things Sure, and uh, met a number of priests along the way. So I always felt comfortable um, around priests, and they always had great dedication. The Mass was very important, and they served their people. Sometimes when we would visit, there would be things that would come up, and the the priest would go to tend to something, and he he was very caring. Uh, Father... King was one priest in particular that when I was a young child, I was only two, my dad was severely burned, and he faithfully visited my dad in the hospital for every day, I think, for three months. Wow. He was an assistant at the time, and he became a pastor down in central Illinois. He was building a church there, and so it just a, it was a nice relationship. I would say, you know, he was another priest that had uh, a model for me. Uh, Father Dan Marabelli taught 
uh, high school where I went, uh, Catholic high school at Alleman uh, High School. It's a diocesan Catholic school for all the kids on the Quad Cities uh, of the Illinois side. Mm-hmm. And Father Dan was a Viatorian priest, but he he was very filled with zeal and dedication. I had him for a number of classes, and he was chaplain to the sports teams, and he just had a great uh, love for the school and for, for everyone. Those are some priests that influenced me a lot, I think, when it came time to thinking about being a priest. Yeah, yeah, very rich environment. When did that question really surface for you in a significant way where you thought, maybe God is calling me to this life in some way? Thank you, Dan. I would say it was a junior in high school. We were having a retreat, and the focus of the retreat was your life and how your life might be used to serve, yeah. uh, whether it's whether it's single, married, religious. We talked about the gifts that God has given to us. And at the time, we'd break into small groups and a number of people, we talked about the gifts of each person and uh, about myself. And then we were asked to, how might those gifts best be used? And several people mentioned about being a priest. And hmm. it was kind of, for me, that was uh, something important to hear. And it kind of uh, opened my heart to to take a look at this. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it kind of went from there. Yeah, I think it can be a scary thing to think about if God's really asking me to do something which seems maybe drastic at the time, but the strength in numbers or the idea that others might also be considering this or others also are taking their faith seriously in whatever vocation that that gives us. We find that strength in the community, that yes. there wasn't just you know yeah. one follower of Jesus, but there were the 12 and community. the others, that community of faith yes. that, hey, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're following him too, you yeah. know, so yeah. that's great. So did that then factor into your decision to come to Notre Dame, or how did yes. that interact? Yes. My dad attended Notre Dame great, and always had a great fondness for Notre Dame, and we would always visit every year to campus, mm-hmm. usually in the summertime but occasionally a football game too. So I naturally turned to look at the Congregation of Holy Cross. Sure. And the thing that drew me to Holy Cross was the sense of community, mm-hmm. the sense of family. Um, his family was very important to me. Um, there seemed to be a real knit uh, group together, supporting each other. And I was inspired by their many ministries, especially uh, their mission to Africa Mm -hmm. and uh, Asia, in Mm. particular South America, too. They just had a real spirit of both family and of service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And you continue to see that today in the community. This was a number of years ago, though. So what was campus like in those days? What what do you remember about your experience as an undergraduate? A lot different, Dan, than it is today. uh, I'm coming up, I hate to say, on my 50th anniversary, but at... uh, the 45th, there was a, a person who came back and said, I don't know this place. Yeah. Yeah, basically it was um, about 6,500 undergrad compared to what, close to 9,000 now. Mm-hmm. But just the, the locale of the buildings, uh, the dorms were basically this, well, there's been a lot of new dorms too. Sure, but sure. It was basically built from 
the basilica, the main building, down the main quad there, and then the access point to the south quad and the north. There was nothing. In fact, Juniper Road came right through uh, campus, went past the library, past the stadium, over to Eddy, and uh, Notre Dame Avenue was the main entrance. There was no east entrance. And uh, so you came all the way down to the avenue. There was the uh, postal station right. on the right there. There was a bus station next to it and uh, kind of the circle. And then uh, the gate opened up to the 18-hole golf course and the campus. It, it was much more close. I mean, it was just more uh, condensed. condensed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Smaller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And were you a undergraduate seminarian the whole time? Or did, yes. Yeah, okay. So. Yes. How did how did your interaction with your fellow students go yeah. in that in that capacity? Yeah, they uh, encouraged us to. Of course, we lived at that time. We didn't have the old college building. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did, but we didn't use it for our formation. We our first year was at St. Joseph Hall, which is now the Sacred Heart Parish Center, mm-hmm. and we lived with about forty. There was twelve of us initial seminarians. Mm-hmm. And then there was uh, graduate students, seniors, about 40 people all together. Then after that year, we uh, went over to Moreau Seminary uh, next door okay. and continued in the college program there. And um, But we interacted. Uh, we took all of our courses at the university. I had many friends and uh, connections and uh, people that uh, attended here. And I think it was a good, healthy environment too. Mm-hmm. We were certainly connected to the university as well as to the seminary. We had, you know, our program there, mm-hmm. uh, but it was not a closed uh, system. It was open to the world, if you will. Sure, sure. Yeah. Which is a, a foreshadowing of your ministry, of yeah. course. So um, really helpful formation there. I do know that in formation, there are a lot of checkpoints and crossroads and decision moments. What were some of those things where you remember recommitting to this call or, or discovering mm-hmm. more deeply that God was continuing to call you in this way? You're right, Dan. There's many checkpoints along the way. And when I entered the seminary, I had an openness, but I wasn't totally sure. Sure. I basically am shy and introverted. I know a lot <laughs> of people find that hard to believe as I minister to 5,000 wonderful people here. But there was various things that I had to look at, and the community was looking at me. Mm-hmm. I guess a significant point for me was the novitiate, where I went to Bennington, Vermont, and after four years of college and a, a stress focus on academics, mm-hmm. this was a year of spending basically time in community, focusing on the communal life, the religious life, really developing a prayer life. Mm-hmm. It was a real important time and still you know I, I look back and I recall those moments of developing prayer and the importance of continuing to stay focused in my prayer life as a foundation for my religious life and my ministry and those and I guess another significant point for me was, I'd completed my MDiv in mm-hmm. 1978, okay. and I had another year to take before entering final vows. So I went to Holy Cross Parish here in South Bend on the northwest side, and uh, a r- wonderful religious house, and 
I had many opportunities to experience both religious life and parochial ministry. Sure. And I just fell in love with uh, parochial ministry a lot. Mm-hmm. There, of course, you, you, we had a very active, thriving school, a number of, uh, we had a wonderful senior group, we had a youth group, and different things that I was involved with as a seminarian, mm-hmm. but it really gave me a touchstone of, of ministry, and it gave me a real affirmation that this is a, a good play. I mean, it seems to be a good connection, a fit with my gifts sure. and the gifts of uh, the community and the service to the church. Yeah, that it brings you joy, and you have yeah. a lot to contribute yes. in this way, so that's really, really good affirmation. What do you remember about those moments of taking final vows and being ordained a priest? Yes. Those are obviously really high points of this, but there's a lot before and after as well. What was significant about those times? Well, I have to back up a little bit, Dan, sure. because I didn't take final vows until 1992, okay. which is a lot further than 1979. Yeah, Because of my uh, experience at Holy Cross Parish, there was a, a feeling inside of me that maybe this is the call that God wants in parish ministry, yeah. that a diocesan ministry carries primarily. We do in Holy Cross have a number of active parishes, but the focus of Holy Cross primarily is education. We are educators of the faith. And so it was a very difficult decision, but I... Uh, felt called to priesthood, but in a different service of mm-hmm. uh, diocesan ministry. Mm-hmm. So I was ordained a priest in 1980 in St. Mary's Cathedral, Peoria, Illinois, okay. my home diocese. Yeah. And it was a very, very humbling experience. I remember we had six people being ordained. It was overwhelming feeling of love. And it was certainly beyond myself. It, yeah. You know, I realized that I was there to serve the people that came and as well as uh, the people across the diocese. It was all God's, and I I just tried to stay out of the way. (laughs) But it was very exhilarating, very uplifting, of incredibly humbling that here's, you know, I'm going to be able to bring Christ and bring the sacraments and to share Christ as I walk through each day in my life as a priest. And I remember uh, asking my mom and dad for any advice. Yeah. My mom said, be kind. And my dad said, be humble. Right. <laughs> and they're really tied together and recognizing that it's God that calls and we're humble servants mm-hmm. and of God's call and, and that God has blessed us with gifts and as we saw in Christ, or we see in Christ every day, that Christ is compassionate. Uh, Christ washed feet. He comforted the sick and the lowly and the grieving and the poor and sought to bring hope that life has its journeys of uh, both blessings and challenges and suffering and death, that he was there through it all himself. He Mm -hmm. experienced it. And his resurrection was the great hope uh, to which we all find in day-to-day life that, uh, yes, there's this thing that happened, this loss of job, this painful sickness or a loss of a loved one, 
but we just continue to move forward as best we can with awareness of our the promise of the resurrection of Jesus for us mm-hmm. that we received in our baptism. So I was blessed to be able to do that in parishes in Illinois, sure. two different parishes, one in normal Illinois, mm-hmm. down by Illinois State University, and then I was over at Sacred Heart Parish in Moline, Illinois, uh, my hometown, but not my home parish. Mm. And I was very happy being in uh, diocesan ministry. And yeah. All of a sudden, the bishop called and asked me to go to the University of Illinois, St. John's Chapel at the Newman Center there. He thought I would be very good with young people and supporting and maybe drawing vocations even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was a real shift. Yeah. And when I went there, there was a number of priests that were there. There was two other diocesan priests. There was a Benedictine priest also on our a Newman uh, staff. Mm-hmm. There was a Carmelite priest who was studying, getting a doctorate in anthropology. Hmm. And there was a Dominican priest who was teaching religious studies there. So we lived together, we um, prayed together, we shared meals together, and it felt again like community that I had had in Holy Cross. Mm -hmm. And I really began to see how that was so important to my ministry, Mm. that I needed to find that community, I guess, that I thought I was able to manage uh, without, but I realized that... um, it was uh, something very foundational for me to be able to serve uh, as a feeling of support and prayerful support from a community. So I asked to come back, and I was accepted back in 1988. And ironically, I came back and I served in a parish, <laughs> Christ the King Parish here in South Bend, yeah. four wonderful years. Yeah. And... Uh, then I took final vows in 1992. Okay, okay, wow, what a... So I took a circular a unique, route yeah, then. It unique. wasn't a straight route, but... Yeah, that's all right. It's all been good. At, say, God blessed me. I still look fondly upon my experiences in the diocese. I had no regret, sure. remorse. Yeah. It was a very blessed and joyous time as a priest. And uh, I say every part of my journey of 42 years as a priest has been filled with many, many blessings. And wherever I've gone, uh, whether in parochial ministry, I've served for 20 years. I've served at uh, Notre Dame High School in Niles, Illinois. I was over at St. Mary's College with the Holy Cross Sisters for nine years almost. And I did a sabbatical year as a prison chaplain mm. uh, over at Westville Correctional here in Indiana. And now the last, I'm starting my 10th year yeah. as staff chaplain. And every, every experience uh, has been, you know, people ask me, where, you know, did you like the best? And I, every one. Yeah. I yeah. found, I fell in love with all of them. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting because I think sometimes in discernment and a vocational search, well, one, sometimes you think that ordination or final vows, well, that's, that's the finish line. But actually, there's more discernment to be done yeah. all throughout. Yeah. And also, I think sometimes there's angst about, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what God is calling me to do? But I think what your story is illustrating to us is just staying faithful to our core call as as followers of Christ 
and and the Holy Spirit can work in a lot of ways, yes. in a lot of different yes. ways. Uh, yes. So I get that sense in hearing your story, and as you yeah. look back on your ministry as a priest, seeing where God was involved the yes. whole way. Yes, and I I get you know affirmed by witnessing faithfulness in you know like Dan, you're a wonderful father and a great example of faith. Uh, to your wife and family, and everywhere that I've been blessed to serve, I've seen the ways in which people are living out their call, people are living out their their faith. And I try to be attuned to hearing and seeing and encountering Christ through others. Mm-hmm. I remember one day when I was a pastor in Colorado Springs, and it was being a pastor has its uh, blessings and challenges. Yes. <laughs> and... Um, this one visitor came up to me after Mass and said, uh, Father, thank you for, she was leaving that day, wanted to thank me for welcoming her to, she would be at daily Mass for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, you just do a wonderful job of loving your people. Mm. And um, I guess I needed to hear that. Yeah. Clearly came out of the blue. It wasn't something that I was soliciting. Yeah. And uh, I think that's how we... Are plus, I mean, it's so important to have a prayer life. So yeah. important, yeah. Faithfully, every day, you know, the whole focus of our podcast is everyday holiness, mm-hmm. and it's a call to live every day, opening oneself to experiencing the Spirit of God's love and grace in Jesus, mm. and we have to do it every day. Yeah, it starts over and over. Well, and having worked in a parish and seen priest function in a parish environment, I, I think there's a particular challenge there that you know, we all have our crosses to bear in life, of course, but there's something about a parish where you just you run the whole gamut of joy and suffering, the whole yep. of people's lives of faith, and you never quite know what's coming next. Yeah. It could be a baptism, and then you got to go to a funeral mm. and, and switch gears, and you know, man, then, then there's a wedding in between. What what sustained you in parish ministry, and how did you kind of manage not only going through the inevitable joys and suffering challenges of your own life, but constantly sharing those with so many other people? Yes. Well, thank you, Dan. That's a very good question of um, keeping the focus, keeping the balance. And so faithfully, I found a need to, to take my day off. I know at first when I was in Colorado Springs, we, Mondays was our dedicated day as, as a community. Mm-hmm. I lived with two other priests, and we would take the day off together. Sometimes we did things together. Almost monthly, we would go up to Sacred Heart uh, Retreat House in Sedalia, Colorado, and do a day of retreat or prayer together. Or we would do fun things, or we would travel to Santa Fe to take in a couple of days uh in that beautiful place, mm-hmm. uh, culture and history. So the community is very important. You got You can't be isolated in a parish. You have to. I found the importance of uh, rootedness in myself and my religious community, and to be open to seeing where Christ is speaking through families. As you say, that in a parish you have the gamut. I remember walking into the hospital one time, and I think it's maybe still. When a baby is born, there's a little riddle that is kind of chanted mm-hmm. through the, the PA system. And I was going from 
that I saw a, a person in a parish who had just had a newborn child. Mm-hmm. Then I was going to visit someone in ICU who was probably near death. Yeah. So you have the whole gamut of life and death uh, right there in the hospital. Right. Yeah. Some days, particularly on Saturdays, we would, you know, often have a wedding and a funeral and then the five o'clock mass. Yeah. And it, it is difficult to shift gears. Yeah. And that's where, again, I would try to pause between those if, if I had a few moments right. to kind of contemplate, go into a deeper sense of prayer to try to allow the, the experience that I just had, the funeral, the loss, the hope of the resurrection, and then to move into a wedding where people were starting their life uh, yeah. together yeah. and to let Christ uh, bring me th- from those experiences, and to be present to and, and focus on what is right in front of me. But I couldn't do it myself. I, I really relied heavily on uh, prayer life, community life, and also spiritual direction, Dan, is very mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. I monthly, when I was in Colorado Springs, would go up to Sedalia. I, my my uh, spiritual director was there, Father Rich Bueller, and... I've had spiritual direction from the, when I first entered the seminary all the way through to the present time. Yeah. And there's no way that I could possibly be a son of God, a priest, a servant, and live well without having a spiritual director mm. um, that really keeps me centered and balanced. And the, the, the yearly retreat's very important. Mm-hmm. So all of those things build together, Dan, to really build, say, the, the sense of, of your self, your mission, and um, keeping all of those in, in, in its proper perspective is very important. Otherwise, I've seen people where they can get burned out or they can get um, stressed out or mm-hmm. they, and I've had those challenges myself. Sure, but, sure. You know, fortunately, through having a good spiritual director, Having a f- couple of friends, having community, uh, those and the pair, whether it was a parish or whether it was St. Mary's the sisters or here at Notre Dame, uh, the prison brothers that were there with me, they all brought me into a contact with Christ mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and continue that today. Yeah. And you've spoken so well about the importance of prayer. And I think that is a challenge for all of us, not only you know those in priesthood and religious life, but for anybody who's trying to be serious about a life of prayer in this busy existence yes. that we have, in this kind of age, this digital age of distraction and everything. What advice would you have for people who really have a desire for a consistent life of prayer but are having a hard time yes. making that happen? Yes. I would just encourage them to... One of my novice director's comments, Father Nicholas Io, said to use the crumbs of time. And sometimes you as a father and husband and family and work mm-hmm. here at uh, the alumni, your time is sparse <laughs> to really empty yourself in prayer to yeah. hear the voice of the Lord. and to. So I encourage people to take those times, whether it's walking you know, from here to your car mm-hmm. or walking, maybe taking a 15-minute break around the campus. And, and uh, nature is a beautiful place sometimes to 
find God's presence and center yourself in prayer. Certainly, the you know I love praying with the Blessed Sacrament, mm-hmm. and sometimes people are able to do that. But we do have, even though people's schedules are incredibly busy, mm-hmm. I've never seen a busy uh, more time than, than we are right now. Yeah. That we try to use, you know, maybe turning the radio off or when you're driving to work. Usually, people have a 15, 20 minute commute, and sometimes I remember. There was a person in Colorado who had a long uh, drive to work and back, and he said it really helped me to empty myself before the day and to empty myself before I would get back to my family. And he used that time for his time of prayer. Mm-hmm. So to try to uh, maybe, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be able to take time with people that I... Um, serve in spiritual direction that will get up early in the morning or mm-hmm. take a time with scripture or uh, go to mass. Certainly those are excellent, but if you're not able to, I think there are possibilities. Mm-hmm. And not to get discouraged, I think, is the biggest difficulty. Or also sometimes, Dan, we all go through times of dryness yeah. when we in our spiritual journey wonder where is God and all this? But I encourage people just to, to be disciplined, just like we don't like to do exercise all the time right. either. <laughs> but something about it, Dan, that when, I don't know, I've been so blessed when maybe difficult things have come that there was that grace, even when I was feeling the dryness of, of prayer that was there, and I could, I could tap into it. It's, or it seemed to come in a really important time, uh, feeling the presence of God's love and the Spirit and Jesus. And uh, so not to get discouraged, but to continue to try to do a 10 to 15 minute time apart from your busy schedule a day mm-hmm. is going to be very, very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for that encouragement for all of us. I know that you have spent the last 10 years encouraging a lot of people and giving a lot of great advice across campus because I know you're a beloved figure here. For those listeners who might be totally unaware of this kind of role, what is a staff chaplain? What have you been up to these last 10 years? That's a good question, Dan. <laughs> I get, in fact, yesterday I had a new hire orientation. Usually about every other Monday, there's a gathering of new hires. A wonderful experience to meet people from all different parts of our amazing campus from development to the Innovation Idea Center, to laundry, to landscape, to building service, to food, to power plant, to fire, police, all the different colleges and their staffs, the university, the main staff, uh, Father Jenkins and the provost's office. And uh, it's just an incredible to see all these different folks gathered together And I, as we all at Notre Dame welcome a person of any faith or no faith, I try to see my role, Dan, as kind of like Jesus on the road of Emmaus, you know, walking with those disciples and uh, listening to them, sharing with them. Above all, I think, Dan, what most people have found in me is hopefully a listener. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's what people need the most, 
just to have somebody to to listen because it's not easy these days to find maybe somebody that you can be there for to listen. And I think that's the service I also provide, you know, at a time of loss. I try to make to the funerals or visitations, and people are very uh, appreciative. I remember the first one I went to 10 years ago uh, was down in North Liberty, a small little town south of here, and went into the non, it was a Christian church, and it was um, how often funerals today have uh, slides and, you know, where you can see them on a screen. Sure. And all the screen slides of this wonderful woman was uh, of Notre Dame, Hmm. uh, whether at a football game or she worked in the varsity shop Mm -hmm. for a number of years and uh, sweatshirts and with her family, with Notre Dame paraphernalia. And the first words out of my mouth is, I'm Father Brackey from Notre Dame. And it said, oh, Notre Dame, you you know, it it really is, it's not about me. Right. It's about that the place where they gave themselves, and I can't underscore enough how the amazing dedication of people that, that I've been privileged to serve here, and they have all kinds of things going on at home, uh, difficulties, sicknesses, single parent families, that they they show up, and they show up out of love for Notre Dame and a willingness to serve and dedicated. They want Notre Dame to succeed, and they're happy when Notre Dame is, is succeeding. It's not So it's, it's just a, a very humbling experience to be able to walk the road, like I said, like Jesus did with the disciples and, and Emmaus after his death, but to walk the road, offer a, a listening ear, compassionate heart, Say, I just walk the road. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you do a lot of walking in our <laughs> enlarged <laughs> campus. I often see you about and marvel to think. I, I know how often we see you in our offices, but think, oh, my gosh, you're in so many other places as well. What has been a gift for you as a priest just to be in this environment and, and all the people that you've met in this ministry? Well, again, the grotto is my favorite place on campus. Uh, I get to walk to the grotto a lot every day. Oftentimes, departments will invite me to celebrate a Mass uh, for their department or to lead a prayer. I would say again, Dan, it's a ministry of of presence, and it's not about me, but it's about what the Lord can give them. And I get incredibly touched by people saying, Father, would you pray for my mother? Would Father... Pray for my niece mm-hmm. or this person or that person. And the faith that the people that I serve uh, show me or inspire, and they how they come to, to work, many carrying heavy burdens, but they have a smile for the most part. And to me, that's God's smile. That's God's gaze at me through a person who is showing a lot of faith, mm-hmm. just showing up given what might be going on at home or their own personal lives or family lives. Every day is a different day, Dan. Every yeah. day is different. You don't know what an email or a phone call might call you to and to take a focus. It's one thing I've learned in my 10 years that you, you just got to be open to whatever will be this day. And, mm-hmm. um, you can have some thoughts, some direction, <laughs> 
but often it's it's uh, being just being willing to be open and let the spirit lead you this day. Yeah, I imagine that parish life was some preparation for this kind yes. of work, but it's almost like it's even more spread out and more varied on, you know, yeah. even a Catholic university. There's a lot of different people and mm-hmm. different needs, and you just really have to be open to where God's calling you each day. Yes, that's right, Dan. Yeah, and the parish was a good is a good experience for that because, again, you often had things that would come up and you, you, you drop everything to, to attend to to the needs of that, especially if it's a sickness or death mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. And I know you and I caught up recently, and you told me that you were scaling back a little bit, a little bit of a part-time schedule, looking at retirement. What has that experience been like as you've been so active for 40-plus years as a priest, and now there's a, a little bit of a re- recalibration yes. going on? Good question, Dan. And yes, my whole life has been geared to 24-7, right. 40-some years, and to scale it back has been an interesting challenge. But again, it's a, it's a faith challenge that we are finding that we need to be filled up so we can minister and we have different phases of our journey to experience that presence of God that I think I'm trying to focus more on being and less on doing. Mm -hmm. The 10 hours that I do serve, I try to be very, very cognizant of being present. And I don't get into a schedule for the most part Mm -hmm. that this is the most important thing that I need to do. And if I don't get around to various departments, that's okay. Mm -hmm. What the person in front of me is what, what matters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Jesus showed us examples of he needed to get away. Uh, he went away to be with the Father, and mm-hmm. his life was totally in God's will. And, you know, he went fishing or he went uh, hike walking. And so I just try, I, I live at Fatima House, which is a beautiful place near St. Mary Lake, to um, just to look out at the lake and to experience the wonder of God and how that fills me up to be able to be present. There's always a lot of people walking around the lake. There's people that uh, you encounter as you often go up to Lake Michigan, a favorite place to Mm -hmm. experience God's grace and love. And wherever I am, God is, as well as in the people that I encounter. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that continued gift of yourself and your ministry. You mentioned early on that Notre Dame has changed a lot and that you grew up in a very different time. So you've seen a lot of life. You've seen a lot of ministry. What do you think the future is? What do you you think the important elements of the future ministry are for the church in terms of continuing to respond to an ever-changing world? Yes, and I think that's very, very important. I know campus ministry has been doing a lot of looking at, you know, what worked as programs, you know, a number of years ago, just isn't, students are so active, mm. doing so many things, that to maybe take a, a a Friday through a Sunday would be not possible, mm. or that they would maybe rather engage in a podcast or something that, you know, they could look at or they could, you know, I think social media which certainly is 
has its dangers Mm -hmm. and darkness, Mm -hmm. can also provide an opportunity for uh, ways in which we as church can serve and reach out to people. Pope Francis is always talking about the importance of encounter, Mm -hmm. encountering a relationship, and whether it's through the social media, through, I think we have to go out to where the people are. It's Mm -hmm. it's a different, you know, back when I was growing up, people came to the church. Mm -hmm. The church was the center of their life. Yeah. And kind of growing out of that immigrant church that now is very mobile, very into technology. And I think we have to be tech savvy to reach out to situations. And, and I think our, our message is more relevant today than ever. Yeah. I mean, I think that the way that people have been brought into a very secular, uh, materialistic, kind of a narcissistic time mm-hmm. that we as church can offer a different a different approach that I think will be a lot more fulfilling, more depth. Uh, I think there's a lot of superficiality today, and I think people are very lonely, even though there's all these connections that are going on with right. you know the cell phones and all the uh, computers and I think there's just a lot of loneliness, a lot of isolation. So we as a church are trying to engage in great outreach and to maybe go out beyond our comfort zones Mm -hmm. to where more and more of the people are. You have things like Theology on Tap and other ways in which you try to reach out to the youth and younger people, young adults. Uh, We have a great uh, grotto network here. That is, they do excellent materials and ways in which they can bring faith uh, into the, the lives of uh, mostly young adults. Mm-hmm. And I think we're called upon to be creative. I'm very hopeful. The challenges are great, but I think the people that I have encountered, uh, especially young people, are very passionate, dedicated. They are very concerned about the climate, ways in which we relate to one another in racial ways mm-hmm. and, and uh, dealing with the whole sexual areas that uh, we come to know and support each person. Not that we always necessarily agree, mm-hmm. but we, we need to acknowledge them. We need mm-hmm. to encounter them and take them as they are and to hopefully, in the encounter, bring about where they and the Lord will work their lives together mm-hmm. and and also bring a sense of community that the world really is hungering for, I think. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of challenges, but in another way, there's a lot of opportunities for us to be out there and to spread the good news in our time and to be creative, as you said, in doing it. Well, this podcast is obviously an effort to be part of that outreach and part of that creativity, and I do want to touch on our key topic of holiness who have been some of the mentors of holiness to you as you think through the years of your life? Yes. Father Stan Zock, the Holy Cross priest that I met in my early years of formation, he was pastor of Christ the King Parish. And Father Stan had a lot of health issues, had lung problems, and he had shortness of breath, and he 
uh, would ride around in a uh, what is now called a jazzy, I guess, <laughs> to minister to his parishioners, to keep the message of the gospel. He didn't stop from doing it. And, you know, I, I remember when I was becoming a pastor in Colorado in the early 90s that I asked for his his thoughts, and he, he said, uh, love them, love the people that come to you. And very simple, but I think a very effective that he showed by his, his actions. He spoke very humbly, a um, few words, but he modeled to me the gift of holiness, mm. always centered in Christ. And he also was, in his later years, living at Holy Cross House and the ways that he brought hope and strength. He was the uh, superior there at one time. And uh, he always was trying to bring a smile mm. uh, to people. And he would have a little funny joke or comment or just had the warmth of and love and the heart of Jesus. He was certainly a great example. I would say my parents, another mm. example that they lived out uh, faithfully their marriage lives. My mom got sick with cancer. My dad was there with her and for her. And mm. throughout their whole lives, my dad was was burned three months in hospital and the way my mom and dad worked together, no couple is perfect. Sure. Uh, they had their challenges, but, you know, they always place faith at the center of their lives, and they lived it out, they, as I said earlier, in very humble, loving ways, from our family to the neighborhood to helping somebody out at church that they found out was having uh, troubles or difficulties or uh, a willingness to serve. I had an aunt and an uncle who my grandmother's sister and her husband who had a, a wonderful person, uh, Bernice, who was developmentally challenged. Mm -hmm. And their love and devotion to her throughout her life mm -hmm. and the care that they had for her just showed me an incredible gift of holiness, that they did not see this as a burden they loved her. They would travel several hours to see her frequently and to care for her, to bring her home. And that was not an easy process. And they, their whole life was centered around caring for Bernice and her welfare. And, and it's happened in all the parishes that I've been in. There was a person in Colorado Springs who was telling me on the first day that I was there that her daughter was was murdered, mm. and how she was able through her faith and belief of Jesus's love for for everyone dying on the cross for her and for everyone that she was able to let go of a very difficult thing to forgive him mm. and to continue to support his mother and what he was obviously facing a uh, life in prison and she was there to tell the judge, please, her faith is telling her that we don't want to have this man, even though he did something terrible, mm -hmm. uh, killing my daughter, but I don't want to have another death. Mm. She was very much against the death penalty. The list could go on and on, Dan. Yeah. But I would say Father Stan, my parents, Aunt Georgina, and Uncle 
Ray, and just different people along the way. Yeah. Priests, sisters, yourself, uh, many people (laughs) that have influenced me to uh, live in holiness, to Mm -hmm. live as I can, as in my calling, and seeing the way other people are are doing it in their lives. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're very kind. I I wouldn't count myself amongst such a, a great, great group like that, but that's been a primary reason, even from you know my being a host of this podcast and having these great conversations, is it helps we help build each other up yes. by just hearing the stories and hearing the inspiring things that others are doing. We want to in turn do something yes. of that nature. So, as a final question, Father, what has been effective for you as you have gotten closer to a holy life uh, as you've gone along in your faith journey? Well, what's effective for me, Dan, is that I. I give it away, mm. that I find that the more that I can give myself to the Lord, giving it to Him and serving it for others, that that's been an effective way for me to stay in holiness. Mm-hmm. Again, I remember my dad, you know, whenever I would go to a new community, he would say, try to meet someone, try to do some service or relate to, to help people. I think that and as I have been incredibly blessed through others, that the more that I can give myself away, hmm. there's a prayer that I say often during the day. It's by Father Thomas Keating called the Welcome Prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I say it throughout the day, but it goes like this Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today, for it's all for my healing. I welcome all thoughts feelings, uh, emotions, persons, situations. I let go of power and control. I let go of trying to change persons, situations, conditions, or myself. I let go of survival and security, and I open myself to the love of God and to be led by God's presence each moment of this day. And I pray that prayer often, and it seems to keep me and be an effective tool for me to stay in holiness and to stay in a life of amazing grace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Not about myself. Yeah. Well, I think your parents are looking down on you and are really pleased with the humility that you've kept, the kindness that you've shown to so many people. And it's been great for me to hear more of your story and understand the foundation there for you because I've marveled often at your ministry being on staff here and seeing what you've been able to do. And now I understand a little bit better where that comes from, that you have such depth and capacity for giving grace to others. Yeah, it's been many, many others beginning with my parents. Great. Well, Father Jim, thanks for the time out of your busy schedule in sitting down with me, and just thank you for your ongoing ministry to our staff here on campus. I know a lot of people will hear this episode and are grateful for all the ministry that you have given them throughout your years as a priest. Well, thank you, Dan, for your ministry and for what you do on this wonderful podcast, 
and faith in D and everyday holiness. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. Yes, it's a blessing for me as well. Well, that concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness. As always, we invite you to rate the podcast, to subscribe to the podcast, to share it with others, and to sign up for our daily gospel reflection at faith.nd.edu slash sign up. Until next time, you'll be in our prayers. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.